Welcome back to our Q&A time. Our first question is, uh, E.G. White uh, says in The Great Controversy that none have received the mark of the beast yet. Why not in her day? Since our understanding is the mark is a, per, uh, is a person's identifying with Satan's methods of coercive tactics or forced compliance. There were certain, certainly many in her day and throughout history that adopted these methods. A little help, please. So Ellen White's descriptions are actually the final worldwide movement, not individuals sealing themselves either into righteousness or into hardening against God. Those hardenings have been happening or sealings have been happening throughout time. She's talking about the final worldwide movements when the issues come uh, clear and people make a choice one way or the other, and they make the choice either for um, God's kingdom and methods and practices and how they treat others, or they make the choice as true believers in Satan's way, it's the right way, marked in the forehead, or or because it's convenient for them and it, 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 it keeps their business open, keeps them from uh, being fined. And so they do the works of it um, because they benefit from it marked in the hand. That's when it's a worldwide court. The cl- we became very close during the COVID. I will just tell you very close to this uh, during COVID and what was happening during that time. And, and I will tell you, as I, as I told you before, I think that was the warning sign, God, for all people that are of discernment to prepare uh, just like the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and pulled back, all the Christians who had discernment fled and got out, and then they came back and destroyed. What happened was a worldwide posturing of the governments of the earth showing how they can do this, and it's time not for us to flee physically because you're really never going to flee physically anymore like they could. It's about fleeing in your heart and mind from those systems and methods that you establish yourself in trust to God uh, and that you are not going to participate and support those organizations that will use these methods. You're not going to identify with them anymore. That's what I think it's about. So. Why is Satan and, and his demons still alive? According to design law, they should be dead as they have been sinning for thousands of years. Are humans made just a little lower than the angels? We, uh, we would be dead if we sinned that long. So anybody uh, recognize there's multiple assumptions in this question that we do not have evidence for. And so, for instance, we don't have any evidence of what the physiology of angels are. We don't know if uh, we know that humans are made out of the dirt of the earth. Okay, actual carbon, iron, and so forth. So we're made out of the dirt. We don't know what angels are, are physically made out of. We don't know. We also don't know if they operate in the same time dilation that we do. Uh, the, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. They, they operate in some way that we can't actually see them, uh, typically, unless something happens where they are able to manifest, which occasionally is described in Scripture, whether it's God's angels or demonic forces. And so time may be passing in whatever plane they're operating on in a different rate that it's passing for us. It may only be six days of their existence since Adam fell, when it's been 6,000 years for us. So there's, there's, there's elements here that we certainly don't have the evidence for to be able to draw a conclusion on. Let's see... Recently, I was pointed out, it was pointed out to me that the creation in Genesis, it says, and the evening and the morning was the first day, the second day, third day, so forth. However, uh, that is only on days one through six, but it only says God rested on the seventh day. There is no mentioning of evening and mornings. Any thought on that? Uh, I think it has a complete irrelevancy. I mean, truly, if you look at the rest of Scripture, and you can go right to the commandments, which were written by God himself, if we accept the biblical narrative, God wrote those out on his own fingers. It says, in six days the Lord created the heaven and the earth and rested on the seventh day. 
Okay, so there you have six days, and you have defining in Genesis 1 that was evening and morning, a 24-hour period, and, the, and God equated the seventh day with those six days, and so there you have it for me. It kind of nails it down. I don't find any significance to this uh, observation at all. Uh, I am excited about, being, uh, for, about applying to various medical school programs, maybe a DAO school uh, considering a recent hiring. <laughs> Thank you for that. I would like to know what questions I should be asking in interviews. Uh, is it important that I ask about how their institution handled the pandemic? What about the attack on education and how they might be dealing with that? How much uh, should these issues matter to me as a medical student and a future healthcare provider? Uh, what are some of the questions you uh, wish you asked um, as you uh, were applying as a medical student? So for me, you have to first step back and, and ask the question of what your goal is and what your priority is to going to medical school. And then, uh, and you know, my priority was I wanted to become a physician. Uh, I, when I went to medical school, I went to a university uh, uh, that was a public university, and I knew going in they were going to teach uh, evolutionary theories. That was not going to be a mystery to me. I knew that. I did not uh, ask them, do you teach creation or evolution here? I knew they would teach that way. And I also knew I didn't believe that, and I also had a better way of understanding it, but I wasn't there to convert them. I was there to meet my my uh, educational needs in order to check the boxes, in order to get my licensure, in order to get my residency, in order to get the education I needed, that I could then formulate my own way of thinking and be my have, with my own mind and come to my own conclusions and practice. So figure out what your goals are. Uh, keep your mind. I tell you, my residency was much more of a challenge to me than, than medical school. Medical school was pretty straightforward, even though it was evolutionary. I, I, I'd been in systems that taught that for a long time, and I knew how to ignore that stuff. But my, my residency uh, in psychiatry, um, where I had to read so much really deep philosophical godless material, uh, was, was, was very corrosive, and that's where I spent two hours, for every hour I spent reading the theories of, of Freud and Jung and Adler and these guys, I spent two hours in, in scripture, and other Christian writings uh, searching for um, godly understanding of these same concepts that we were studying and came up with my first book, Could It Be the Simple? So uh, if you retain your own reasoning capacity, uh, be fully persuaded in your own mind, come to your own conclusion, uh, I would be concerned about things of, at any type of mandate over you, though. Any type of mandate that, that, would cons- that would coerce your liberties and freedoms. So I would ask those types of questions. Uh, some of those mandates may not be from the school. For instance, you're in a medical school, and the medical school may say, we will not mandate, for, let's use the COVID example, for you to get a vaccine. But when you do your rotations, you're rotating at, a, say, a, a certain hospital that is not owned by the medical school, and that hospital may mandate you if, in order to do your clinics there. And if you don't do them, then you can't finish your education, but it's not the school mandating. And so there are elements here that, that may not be exactly clean cut, and you'll have to make a decision on can a vaccine-free person with natural immunity catch COVID twice or more? Any new thoughts on this? So the data is that it's, it's possible, just like with a seasonal flu, because uh, the virus mutates, and so with natural immunity, you may. Uh, the data suggested that that is actually the least likely to be able to catch it again. The most likely to catch it again would be those who have vaccinated, and the more vaccines and boosters you've had, the more likely you are and more vulnerable you are to reinfection. Your immune system is actually compromised by these things, what the data is showing. And further, um, in, in at least uh, two 
two epidemiologic surveys, I think Great Britain is one of them, Israel may be the other, um, that uh, they show that the people with the most vax are the ones who have the highest mor- uh, mortality or death rate when they do get reinfected. Um, uh, and there are other concerns uh, about the immune system that are emerging now, uh, su- such as the, new, uh, the data suggesting that we're getting increasing cancers for the more vaxes you've gotten because they are suppressing CD4 cells, which are cancer surveillance immune cells in your body that will kill cancer cells as they crop up. And there's evidence that, the, that this part of your immunity has been compromised with the more injections you've gotten. Um, the, the, every, everything that I have seen, this ministry has been correct on from the beginning because we have been advocating the principles of God's kingdom and, and have been, uh, even before all the science was available to examine, we saw the methods being employed by one side, which was coercion, control, threat, silencing, censoring, uh, refusing to engage in actual, um, the historical practice of medical ethics and so forth. And we knew immediately God's kingdom doesn't work that way. And so we were, we're cautious and warning, and the data has come out um, and consistently supported our conclusions. Let's see, does, um, yeah, I think this one, okay, this, this was posted a couple different ways. Okay, um, fallen humanity has free will or free will self-governance, question mark. Free choice, yes, and the free choice to whose authority to yield the will, but of our own self-capacity to govern the will toward good or evil, question mark. I'm trying to. I'm not trying to split hairs by posing the question. I'm not even sure I understand the question yet. I'll be honest. Um, but reconciling the references, and I guess this is a quote: um, "We must understand the nature of our God-given free will. Uh, this will of man that is of so great. Let's see. This will of man that is so great consequence was at the fall given into the control of Satan. Okay." That's an Ellen White quote from 5 Testimony 5.15. If you read her more widely, you will um, read where she describes at the fall of man that had God not intervened, there would have been a perfect confederacy between fallen men and fallen angels, that the will of man would have been controlled by demonic forces and we would have been powerless to resist their control. However, it says right in Genesis at the fall that God placed enmity between the serpent and the woman, and he intervened immediately in the hearts and minds uh, of human beings with his spirit to give us a desire for something better and to limit the control of the carnal nature over us, restoring within us the liberty or freedom to choose to surrender to him. Without that intervention, we wouldn't even have had the power to choose him, but now we do because God intervenes. How do I, not a doctor or psychiatrist, deal with someone who has psychosis? By taking them to a doctor or psychiatrist. (laughs) No, seriously, I'm going to say straight up. Psychosis is often considered a medical emergency. It's neurotoxic. It's highly oxidative. It's damaging to the brain. The person who is psychotic will have impaired judgment, impaired ability to make informed decisions. And so if you're dealing with someone psychotic, you take them to a professional to get treatment. Uh, But the question continues. Do I try to cast out demons like Jesus did? Uh, I would suggest no. Okay. Does that mean God doesn't have the power to heal a physiological brain problem? Of course he does. In the same way he has the power to heal my eyes so I wouldn't need glasses anymore. 
or diabetes or high blood pressure or any other physical malady. God can heal these things. But is that the typical expectation we should have, that if you have any physical health problem, that if you pray, it's most likely that you will have an immediate miraculous healing? That's not how it typically works. He can. He sometimes does. But those seem to be the exceptions in our world today because we all have physiological health problems because we're in a body that is decaying and dying. And the only and the real healing that God has for us, and what we're promised here on earth today, I'm going to be very clear. I tell my patients this all the time. God promises us new hearts and right spirits that we get renewed motives and a Christ-like character if we surrender to him. That's what we're promised now. We are actually not promised new physiology until the mortal puts on immortality and the corruption puts in corruption at the second coming. That's when we get hardware upgrades. That's when we get new bodies. That's when all the disease, decay, and physical problems get healed. Psychosis is a physical problem of the brain. And a God may heal it. He healed many physical ailments. Every person he healed, even Lazarus, which he raised from the dead, as far as we know, he was, Lazarus was not one of the 500 that was raised at his resurrection. He was raised before that. And he was not raised into an immortal body. He didn't look like Elijah and Moses on transfiguration. So he aged and died again. And all those people he healed, what happened to them? They're resting in the grave. Okay, So do I cast them out? I would think no. Uh, why don't we cast out demons and perform healings today the way Jesus did to his uh, disciples did? Uh, because miracles can be counterfeited. There, there, there can be miracles, and, there, and I have known of some. They're rare. They're not the common thing. God wants to draw the attention to the truth and uh, not simply sensationalism. I've heard many presenters speak about how Satan became the ruler of this world when Adam sinned. In referring to the biblical statement, some say that Satan became the rightful representative of this world which Adam initially held. When Jesus died upon the cross, he went back to heaven uh, and went back to heaven. He was coronated as the uh, new rightful representative of the human race. But is this reading a lot is this reading a lot into a few select verses and having a human understanding of how God's kingdom and reality work? Could you show No, and then it stopped. I guess it was. Okay. So there's assumptions here that are not true, and that's the problem. The assumption is that um, when Adam sinned, Satan became the rightful ruler. No. Satan was a usurper. He claimed rulership that was not his right. Adam was not an independent ruler. Adam was the regent of Christ. Christ was the creator and the rightful ruler of earth. And Adam was given delegated authority to govern the planet under the supreme authority of Christ himself. When Adam sinned and and Satan claimed it, he was actually trying to claim Christ's position, which he did not have right to. And so Christ remained the supreme rightful ruler, and Christ came and reclaimed human authority over the earth. He didn't claim his div- reclaim his divine authority. He already had that. What he did is he defeated Satan and put a human being back as the one who was the rightful ruler of earth. How does one decide what truth is? Uh, I said in, in last week's lesson, a truth loses nothing under investigation. And then I think the same person posted it somewhere later about, um, 
It seems, uh, yeah, last week you said truth is loose is nothing by investigation. Uh, sometimes after years go by, a once held truth can change, it seems. So was it ever truth? It seems as though a once accepted truth can change after years. Does that make it false? Uh, no. What it means is your understanding. Truth is reality. When you understand, it's objective. Real. Truth is reality. It originates in God, and it's how reality is God created, operates, and functions. That's what ultimate truth is. Our comprehension of truth is unfolding because we're finite. God is infinite. We're finite. The gap between us and God is an infinite gap. The lovers uh, of God are described as lovers of truth. Those who are lost in Thessalonians are lost because they did not love the truth and thus be saved. Meaning that they had hearts that didn't want to be corrected. They had minds that had certain preconceived ideas, certain theologies, certain ways of seeing things that the truth would offend and they don't want to be offended. So they reject truth and cling to their you know, fundamental belief systems or creeds instead. The, the people who are saved are not saved because they have all correct understanding of every verse of the Bible. When Jesus comes in the clouds, nobody saved understands every detail of every verse correctly. What the saved have of hearts that actually are open to be corrected by better explanations and better evidence. They actually love truth. They want to grow in truth. They want to move forward in truth at the earliest possible moment. And God is infinite. We are finite. So even in a new heaven and new earth, we don't become infinite. We're always advancing and moving forward in truth. We'll always have new discoveries, new depths, okay? But there are certain things that won't change. The principles of truth, for instance, we will never discover that God is anything other than love in the way he functions and in character. That truth, we will explore depths of it. We will have it expanded. We will be, our minds will be blown at what it means that we can't comprehend now, but it will always be reaffirming of his character of love. Okay? And that's how we advance in truth. So that's how I would say. So how do we know what truth is? We use the integrative evidence-based approach. The Bible teaches that God has given us three threads of evidence that he reveals himself to us. One is scripture, which is inspired, and God breathed, and he's just for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and righteousness, so we always must include scripture. But the scriptures we read in class today tells us that God's divine nature is seen in what he has made so that men are without excuse. So we include science in nature, the evidence that God has revealed about himself, and harmonize the two. And then the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Check me out, experience me. And so our personal experiences with God must be harmonized. The dangers... And where errors enter in is separating the three threads. Science all by itself leads down paths of godlessness. Experience all by itself leads to mysticism and nihilism. And scripture all by itself leads to, currently, there are 44,000 different Christian groups who all argue back and forth that their view of the Bible is correct. It leads to confusion. When you harmonize all three and you stand on truths that are true in Scripture, they're also same truths are proven in science and nature, and the same truths are experienced in your life because that's how reality works, then you can be confident you're standing on truth. And that's, that's what we do in this class. I recently started a, a teacher to, started to teach senior... Uh, Bible study at my church. I am totally shocked how little Bible knowledge these mature people, some born in SDA homes, uh, now in their 60s, SDAs all their lives have. In a private conversation, was told by one of the class members that I shouldn't be expecting anything from them. I should be hoping that they could be fed meat and not milk, as I am, uh, and I am not God and hence do not know their circumstances. Should I have suggested they enroll in kindergarten? (laughs) I don't think that would be helpful. (laughs) 
And I understand some of the frustration. No, I don't think that would be helpful. I think you're actually getting a reality. Um, this is true across all denominations. Um, the, they've, they've done multiple surveys, multiple times, Christian organizations of multiple denominations. And the fact is that the vast majority of people who identify a Christian in, in, our, in, in the Western world are biblical illiterates. They, 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 most of them can't name two or three books of the Bible. Most of them uh, don't know uh, three of the apostles. Most of them uh, get, uh, don't know who Noah or Moses were. Um, the very simple, basic questions. They know very little of Scripture. And that's one of the reasons why the godless theories and the godless philosophies and the godless worldviews are so easily taken root in people's minds. And those that do know the stories often have them all couched in the imperial law model. So even though they know the stories, they still don't know the truth about how reality operates. It's all myth. It's all rules. It's all control. It's all authority. I understand the importance of of Sabbath as design law as we benefit from rest of our minds and bodies, but anyone can argue that same rest can be attained on any other day of the week. Is there any blessing or special accomplishment in the Sabbath that make it resting different from any other day? So when God gave Sabbath in Eden, did Adam and Eve get fatigued and tired and worn out and need rest? So it's not wrong. One of the laws of God in our fallen world, if you want something to get stronger, it's a law of exertion. If, if you don't exercise it, if you don't use it, you lose it. So exer- exertion and exercise makes things stronger. If you don't use it, it withers. But after a finite being in this world in which we live now exerts or expends energy, then the law of restoration, you must rest and recover or else you burn out and exhaust. So what you're saying is true in how things work now. It's not true in Eden. Uh, my understanding is they didn't sleep. They didn't get fatigued. They didn't get tired. They didn't get exhausted. They had perfect divine energy flow through their physical beings in such a way that they radiated fire. So, what would be the uh, purpose of the Sabbath in that context? It wasn't about rest and recovery. Uh, Getting to know God. Okay. But it's what we talked about earlier. Uh, I I think that in God's foreknowledge, he certainly could have included it for his understanding that man was going to fall and we would need it. Uh, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So there's the element that you uh, could, could be incorporated into the foreknowledge of God. He provided it because we would need it as fallen beings. But it was really an evidence or a sign of God's methodology in the context of the, of the great controversy. The war had already begun in heaven. And Satan had already made his allegations. And God began providing evidences of, of, of how he governs. And he governs by revealing the truth of who he is. And this is why um, Christ is a member of the Godhead through which all things are made and nothing is made uh, without him. Uh, why was he the member to create an Eden in Genesis 1 rather than the Father of the Spirit? Because um, the allegations of Lucifer were not against the Father and the Spirit directly. He claimed equality with, with, with Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. And Jesus was giving evidence that I'm not like Lucifer, a created being. I'm the creator. I can speak things into existence. And they created in six days a microcosm of the universe in which you have multiple different other life forms, that some with greater or lesser intelligence, elephants and dolphins, and who knows what kind of intelligence the elephants, gorillas, monkeys, chimps, and so forth had prior to the fall, how bright they were. Uh, uh, and, and how Adam and Eve could converse, interact with them on ways that we can't comprehend. 
And then they made a new species in the image of God with two unique uh, individualities that come together in the unity of love, joined with the unity of heart of the Father. Uh, They procreate beings in their own image. They have procreative powers. This is the Godhead represented. uh, And they are to govern the planet, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. And so the whole earth now becomes a microcosm of the universe. And Adam and Eve were designed to govern the planet and run the planet the way God runs his universe. And they would have had children in a sinless world. And would they have had children to enslave and abuse? No. They would have been constantly sacrificing themselves for the well-being of their kids. And the universe would have said, oh, God didn't create us to wait on him. He is constantly giving himself for us. So in the context of all this, God creates the Sabbath. Why? He just gives all of this evidence. How much power do you think it was, was expended? We take one gram of matter and we turn that one gram, just a little gram of matter, into energy. We call that a nuclear explosion. That's how much energy is contained in, in the one gram of matter. And it's, it's, it's enormous. How much energy did God expend to create the whole planet? The solar system, the sun. This was an immense display of power and might. And for the liar, the one who's going to try to ruin reputation, do you think he just said, oh, cool. Or he turned and said, guys, I never said he wasn't powerful. He's flexing his muscles, man. He's trying to intimidate y'all. He's telling you, get in line or else I can replace you. See, I just made some new intelligent beings. I can replace you anytime. You, you can't trust him. I never said he wasn't powerful. I said he wasn't good. And you can't trust him with the power. And God says in the context, universe, you've seen the evidence. You've heard the allegations. Now I rest my case and I cease using power. And what does it say about God in the context of a war against his right to rule rather than using power to say, get in line or I'll punish you, he creates a day for freedom to think and come to your own conclusion, no pressure. Weigh it out for yourself, come to your own conclusion, you're free. And that's really the beauty of the Sabbath. It is the evidence, its existence every week is proof that Satan lied about God and we have real freedom with our creator, that he will not coerce us. That's the real importance of the Sabbath. It's a sign or a flag of his his design law, government, and kingdom. I struggle with formal prayer. I get distracted throughout the day. I often talk with God and also take moments to stop and deal with the current uh, uh, needs and or praise. Uh, I love studying and reflecting on Scripture and hear God when doing so, but I feel guilty for not taking formal time in morning to pray. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Sounds like you've got a vibrant relation with the Lord. You love him. You talk to him. Prayer, rightly understood, is conversation with God as a friend. That's what it is. Talk to him. Walk with him. Talk to him in the night. Talk to him in the morning. Uh, going through some ritualistic formal prayer may actually dampen your experience and joy with the Lord. So I, I, I don't, formality? No. Conversation with your friend. When we, move, when we move to the new building, will study class be extended so we can finish everything in your notes? <laughs> so, moving to the new building does not do away with hunger and people's need for bodily sustenance. 
<laughs> so I don't know. I think we might be able to uh, extend the class. We will see how it goes. We haven't. Uh, when we move to the building, we will work that out together. Do we want to start earlier, go later? There's a lot of flexibility we'll have once we move to the, own, the new building. We lease this space each week from 9 a.m. to noon. That's why we always kind of move along because we're only allowed to be in here till noon. But over there, we will have the space longer. So I, that's a great question. We'll see what happens. Thank you for the Bible study. Um, you have a metaphor that as long as there is one panda, pandas are not extinct. I think you connected that with Jesus as our Savior. Do you mind going over that again? Yeah, okay. So um, Jesus came to save the species human. And in the person of Jesus Christ, the individuality as a human, the species human was saved. Because of Jesus, a sinless human who overcame sin exists, and he was resurrected, and he went to heaven, and because Jesus exists for all eternity as a human, human species was saved in the person of Jesus. And you might want to call that, if you want to look at it on a governmental scale, the human species was put right with God in the person of Jesus. Putting right the species with God in the person of Jesus is called justification. The whole species human because Jesus perfected humanity and now has been has taken humanity back into heaven has been restored and all for all eternity the species human that God created will exist. God God saved the species in the person of Jesus. But he did more than that. He didn't just save the species in his own individual life, which he did. Simultaneously, he provided the remedy that all other specimens of the species can partake of through faith and also experience individual salvation. The only question remaining is not whether the species human is saved. That's done. It's a done deal. The question is how many specimens of the human species will join him. So the idea here, because if one panda is still alive, pandas are not extinct. Because of Jesus, human race will never be extinct. Okay, uh, we seem to be preoccupied with world events. We are concerned on what to do now. Uh, where are we in the stream of time? Is it time for a homestead in the country? Should we put pull funds out of places or keep our funds and restructure? Well, there is a question, uh, what viruses are, so forth and so on. Uh, you, that's a personal decision. I think the Lord will lead some to uh, to different places. He will have some that he wants to be in, in the cities because they uh, still have an opportunity to witness and reach people. He will have others that need to be preparing other places. I can't, I don't think there's a hard rule of physiologically and geographically where we need to go at this point. There are principles that we stand by. So no matter where you are, we resist coercion of conscience. We move toward places of liberty, of conscience. That's that, that regardless, and we don't collude and support people who would coerce consciences. And so some of the, and this is a, it's a real tell, folks. Historically, up until COVID, two countries that I can think of, Canada and Australia, were often held up as bastions of better societies than America. COVID revealed that that is not true. They, both of those countries have, because of the laws and the way their, their, their governments operate, immediately could take away liberties and coerce and in ways that, that even though it still happened in America, it didn't happen as bad in America. We've had more freedom and we're pushing back and we're holding liberties more easily than happened in those countries. I, ho- I hope you all know that, right? Yeah. 
But it, but, but as the Bible teaches, the United States is going to join with the rest of the world in, in becoming beastly and coercing consciences as well. I think the warning shot across the bow, I think we're entering the final movements. I think, and part of the final movements are the final message of mercy must be given to the world. And God is opening avenues for this design law message about him and how his laws govern and uh, reality and work in our hearts and minds must be presented in contradistinction to the imperialistic laws of the, of the world that have infected much of Christianity. And I think God is opening those avenues and, and I think this ministry is part of that final movement. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it and happy you guys are part of it. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we do thank you for your love, for your character, for the liberties you've given us, for the truths you revealed to us. We, uh, we can see the, uh, the signs of the times are all around, and we can see the movements are, are afoot. Help us to, to keep you central and focused, fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and not be distracted by the chaos and the, and the roaring of the lion trying to incite fear in our hearts because we know for fixing our eyes on you that you will lead us through all the various distractions and dangers and allow us to fulfill the purpose that you have called each one of us to fulfill. And that is our goal, we pray in your holy name. Amen.